Welcome back to the Gains for Girls podcast. I hope everyone is inside and staying warm and enjoying the new year. Uh, as you can see from my window, it is snowing a ton. Uh, we got about a foot of snow here in Tennessee, which is wild. Uh, so I hope you're staying warm. Uh, some of you may have seen the coverage this past week of the big NCAA convention. It was down in Phoenix. It's where the NCAA gathers every year. Uh, for a couple days to go over guidelines and rules and regulations that they plan on implementing over the next year. Uh, and it's also where they have their NCAA Woman of the Year award ceremony. So we went this year. Of course, we did not go in support of what the NCAA is doing to women's sports. Uh, we went there with a very simple message to Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, and to the rest of the NCAA and their governing board. And that message is to stop discriminating against women on the basis of our sex. You might be thinking, isn't this what Title IX is supposed to do? Uh, yes, it is. But the NCAA is violating Title IX. And actually, Title IX is being rewritten by the Biden administration. Uh, the people in the White House leading this country equate sex with gender identity, meaning uh, that Title IX, the federal civil rights law, will no longer prevent discrimination on the basis of sex. It will pre prevent discrimination on the basis of gender identity. Uh, but of course, not if we have anything to do about it. And when I say we, I don't just mean myself and the coalition of groups present at this rally. I mean the general public. It is up to us to fight back and to push back and to say enough is enough. Uh, so my guest today, she was at this rally with me in Phoenix. Uh, she has been an incredibly fierce fighter for protecting women's sports uh, since the, uh, I would say the Leah Thomas issue drew a lot of national attention to what's happening to women's sports. Uh, so not only is she just an advocate for fairness and for safety and for privacy and equal opportunity for women, uh, she was an incredible swimmer herself. She swam at University of Arizona. She was a national champion in the 200 backstroke, meaning the fastest woman in the entire country back in 2005. Uh, and also a Pac-10 champion. Uh, I could not be more excited for our conversation with Marshy Smith. So Marshy, thank you so much for joining. Uh, but before we get into this recap of this, this rally that we partook in, uh, I want you to kind of start by telling us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've done a few podcasts, but never with a friend. So this is really fun. Um, so a little bit about me. I was a swimmer, a captain at the University of Arizona, long time before you. Um, I won an NCAA and Pac-10 title my junior year in 2005. And um, I basically have graduated and been living a, quote, normal life since, away from athletics, from um, the university system. I went into sales and marketing. I got married and have two kids, a seven-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy. And I was kind of going about my life. And I saw you and a lot of um, other swimmers and in my sport of swimming go through what you went through um, the entire season racing against uh a male swimmer. And to be honest, I was first in shock and denial and then became um, really unraveled and 
rattled and devastated witnessing what you and the other swimmers were going through, particularly at a meet that I had won. So I knew the feeling of standing up on a championship podium at the NCAA championships. And to see that taken away from a female athlete, it struck me to my core. Um, and I've been advocating for not only swimmers, but women's sports since. I actually connected to Kim Jones, who's the mother of an Ivy League swimmer, through you and your help. Um, and we launched an, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, ICONS, or the Independent Council on Women's Sports, to help advocate for women and girls because what I found and what was so tragic was that women's organizations that were meant to support women and girls had abandoned us. The Women's Sports Foundation with Billie Jean King, um, the ACLU, National Women's Law Center, even Nike and Adidas. And so we needed a place for female athletes to have a voice. And that was really the birth of icons. Yeah, you talk about these groups who, like you said, were created to protect and uphold the rights of women, uh, but now are actively doing the exact opposite. And they're actually the ones leading the charge and taking away the rights for women, of course, the rights to equal opportunity, but also the rights to privacy and safety. The list goes on. Uh, and I think it's really powerful how you mentioned, you know, knowing the feeling of standing atop the podium, winning a national championship, a national title, being the fastest woman swimmer in the entire country. Uh, but of course, you also know the feeling of, you know, the work that it takes to get to that point. Uh, it's your whole life. You spend working and working and, and chipping away uh, to get that feeling. But that feeling is what makes all of the work worth it. Uh, but let's let's talk about the rally. Um, we actually did a very similar rally last year, which I think was widely successful, especially in garnering public attention and putting a lot of pressure on the NCAA and the NCAA president at the time, who's now stepped down, uh, Mark Emmert. But at large, our demands were virtually ignored by the NCAA. Uh, so, of course, nonetheless, we showed up again this year in Phoenix uh, we had a big rally, and I think one of the amazing things about this rally is the coalition of groups who were there. Uh, we have groups like your group, your your organization, Icons. We had Independent Women's Forum, Alliance Defending Freedom, Concerned Women for America, uh, Women's Liberation Front. We have Women's Sports Policy Working Group, uh, Champion Women, Women's or yeah, Women's Declaration International. International Consortium on Female Sports. I mean, the list goes on of all these women groups who were there. Um, but the amazing thing is these are groups that fall all along the political spectrum. Uh, some of these are, are pretty liberal and left-leaning groups. And of course, uh, some are right-leaning and conservative groups, but and everything in between. Uh, but I think this is powerful. And it shows how ultimately this is an issue that I think we can all unite over. Um, so anyways... What exactly? I want you to kind of give us your insight as to what we were there to do. Like you said, this is a continuation of last year's rally, which also made international headlines. It, it made waves because these coalition of women's organizations 
really are sending a strong message to the NCAA and people who should be held accountable to women and girls when we are facing injustice and our rights are not being upheld. You know, Title IX always is talked about in situations like this where um, this enormous uh, association, the NCAA, in charge of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of athletes, half of which are women, are completely abandoning the rights to fair competition and respect, um, equal treatment. And so these this coalition of women, which really represent the general public in understanding and recognizing that girls deserve fair sport and our own privacy and safety in locker rooms. I mean, it was a great um, coming together because this is not a partisan issue. The general population, regardless of party, recognizes the rights of women and girls in sports. And so it was a great representation, but we were basically having to bang down the doors from the outside to demand a seat at the table at the NCAA when they're determining rules that affect us. They affected you. They're going to affect my daughter, who's just starting her swimming and tennis career now, and I want her to have the same opportunities that I did, not only to be a champion, but to acquire a collegiate scholarship that changed my life. You know, I was the first college graduate in my family. I'm the oldest of four, and I paved the way for my brother and sister to attend the University of Arizona also. My brother became captain of the men's team, you know, so this is a legacy for families. And so it's absolutely crucial for women like me, who now we've stepped outside of our athletic career, but now it's about our next generation. And this group of women were there so powerfully standing on stage and basically doing this. We're giving our testimony about how sports really uplifted us and set us on the path to success, not only in sports, but in life. And we just want that for this generation and the next. It's it's so reasonable. And yet we're having to bang down the doors. We're having to wear hats. So let's say women's sports are for women. I mean, it seems silly. But at the same time, it's like the NCAA are scared to talk about us, talk to us. I mean, you know firsthand about that. So I'm curious to hear... Um, your experience there too um and what you went through <laughs> yeah well it was cool because we of course this big group was there we walked over to uh right outside the convention center we let president charlie baker know we were coming uh he knew the night before corresponding back and forth he was trying to decide if he wanted to be present to accept what we were going to give him which was a petition a very large binder with over seventy thousand signatures uh, over 500 Olympians and Paralympians who signed on to this petition, uh, basically just asking the NCAA to do the right thing and stop discriminating against women on the basis of our sex. Um, and then we also had a demand letter, basically, again, demanding they do, they do just that. Um, we were there to help them, this group. We were there to to provide insight as to why this matters, as to how women who have been impacted by this 
uh, how we're being affected, what this looks like in the future. We just want a seat at the table. So we walked over there. Of course, uh, Charlie Baker decided ultimately he didn't want to show his face um, and accept this on behalf of the NCAA. So he sent two representatives, uh, a male and a female. Um, they came outside. They met us there. Uh, of course, they couldn't even look us in the eye. Um, we told them you know, what we're doing there, why we're here, handed them the letter and the petition. They said, you know, we'll pass this off to President Baker. They went inside. Uh, but we were able to sit outside for a while, talk to athletic directors and presidents and chancellors and, and student athletes as they walked in and out of the convention hall, to which I would say 90% of them stopped or, or gave us a wink or a thumbs up and said, you know, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, don't put me on camera, but you keep going kind of thing. Uh, but what is so cool about this conference, their, their annual conference, is this is the conference each year where the NCAA announces their NCAA Woman of the Year, which is the most prestigious honor for collegiate female athletes because it's something that encompasses, of course, your athletic achievement, but also your academic success and your, your dedication and commitment to community service and your leadership skills and, and really just showcases a well-rounded person and athlete and student. And so last year, uh, each university, of course, they get one person to nominate across all of their sports teams. But last year at University of Kentucky, they chose me to be their nominee, which I was like so humbled by at the time uh, because we had a national championship volleyball team, a national championship rifle team. We have Abby Steiner in track and field who's breaking world records. We have Ryan Howard, who's the number one WNBA draft pick. Um, and they chose me. So I was so humbled by this until... Uh, a full list of nominees for NCAA Woman of the Year came out. And of course, this award was not exclusive to just women uh, because Leah Thomas, again, formerly Will Thomas, who swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania, uh, he was the NCAA Woman of the Year nominee that University of Pennsylvania chose and that the NCAA approved. So immediately, of course, this award was devalued uh, and meaningless to me. But when we were there in Phoenix, they had their big conference where they were going to award this year's NCAA Woman of the Year. Uh, I wanted to go to this reception. I had all my credentials in, in place to be allowed inside um, because I wanted to support these women. Uh, so I go inside, and as soon as I tried to get in, two people stopped me at the door and they said, you're not allowed into this uh, reception or award ceremony, to which I pushed back. Uh, why? You know, I pulled up my email, I showed them my credentials, and they said, no, no, we're not, you know, we're not saying that you don't have the right credentials. We're just saying that you're not allowed. Uh, I was mind blown by this. You know, I'm there to support these girls. And I, I continued to ask, okay, why am I not allowed? You got to give me a better reason than this. They said, we can't promise that you're not going to, to participate in some sort of demonstration inside. Uh, and they held me for about 15 minutes, uh, ended up having to go on some phone calls and check and figure out if I could go in to which ultimately, you know, I told them, if you don't let me in, this will be a, a bad look for you. Uh, and for what you really think about women supporting who support other women, ultimately, they let me inside. Uh, but I mean, what are they so afraid of? Clearly, I'm so scary, you know, this 23-year-old girl who is asking for what seems like the bare minimum. 
it seems as if they're terrified of us. And as I said, these athletic directors, um, they were terrified. You know, they, they agree wholeheartedly and they say this. They say, thank you guys for doing what you're doing. Uh, I just can't put my name to it. What is it you think they're so scared of? I mean, their their boss, right? The top of the top of the NCAA is telling them what ideologically they believe. And so there is a very real concern about your career. You know, you want to advance. A lot of these administrators want to become ADs and move up the chain, become a power five, um, employed by a power five school. And so that is a, that is a real possibility I know is going through many of their minds because over the years, I've talked to many ADs, some with you, who they do tell us that they're afraid, just not me, anybody else, but not me. But really the message that I want to tell everyone, any chance I get is there is power in numbers and people stand with us. All sorts of people stand with us, men and women across generations. Um, they recognize that girls and women are being treated unfairly and that this is not acceptable. So just have the courage to stand up behind Riley. You know, she could lead the charge. In one way, it's silly to me because I know you and you're such a fun and wonderful person that it's like, who could be scared of this woman? But the impact that you've had and the influence in your voice is so powerful. And we may not all be able to be a Riley Gaines, but I was a mom at home potty training. Who am I to be on this podcast talking about this? You know, I swam a long time ago, but um, I just had had enough. I, I could not sit and not do something. And so, you know, one of the things that we uh, kicked us off in our activism is I went on the NCAA website. Um, it was actually NACT. It was for a NACTA conference, which is the Athletic Directors Association conference, similar to the NCAA convention. And just me put money down on a booth inside of their meeting, you know, just through my personal email, because I thought if I alone am standing on a square carpet inside of their meeting, at least I can talk to them directly. You know, I'll just write something on a piece of paper, like defend women and hand it to them alone by myself. And what I found, this is, um, you know, shortly after meeting you, when I said, Riley, this is what I did. I got this booth. Will you come stand in there with me? And you said yes. And the more and more people that I met and wanted to do something about it, they were willing to stand there. So what happened? Just in a matter of months, we showed up to their, to their meeting and it was you and I and Mary T. Maher, who, if you're not a swimmer, um, she is basically the goat of swimming. She's the Katie Ledecky of her era. She is absolutely incredible. She was standing there with us. And Lacey Nymeyer, who was a teammate of mine, NCAA Woman of the Year, you know, the best female representative of all of the NCAA, she was there. Um, Annie Grievers, another World University Games gold medalist. Jerry Chanteau, who was one of the first swimmers. So we had this group of swimmers, 
um, and ex-swimmers who were out there because we just felt like we had to do something. And what I want to say to people is like, you are powerful. The, the, the powerless feeling that I felt crumpled on the floor watching your meet is something that was fleeting because I decided that we're going to do something about this. And I would just like to say for so many people, and I know that you get this all the time too, asking, how do I help? I want to do something. Just find your network of influence. Everybody has kids in a school or you're still involved in some sport or your children are. Start with the coach Go up to the leaders of the organizations, write letters to the board, get a hold of your state representatives, talk to your senators, like everybody has a voice. And if we didn't turn one person's opinion on the opposition, if we didn't turn one person, we would win if everyone else would say something. So I just want to give, especially the young ladies out there listening, that piece of advice, just do something. And guys, we absolutely need your help. We need it. Dads, um, brothers, coaches out there. This is not just a women's problem. This we are seeing affect men's sport as well. Um, it's coming for all of our athletics and it's tearing women down first. And so please, Let's act. And one of the ways is to get involved with um, with Riley, any of the organizations that were part of this rally. Um, we welcome you and your help. Just please use your voice and speak up. Men, uh, I think men, you know, see this issue as one that does only affect women because we don't see uh, at a, the same scale. We don't see women infiltrating into men's sports or men's bathrooms or men's prisons or, or really any space designated for men. Even if you think about the language that we use, we're not demanding females aren't entering into men's space and demanding the language that they use. Uh, we see this on a larger scale, more adversely affecting women, but this, it does affect men. Uh, and we need men. We need strong men. We need masculine men to help us. Uh, this is more than just a woman's issue. I would say this is a, a humanitarian issue that we're seeing. Um, I'm going really to give you two quick examples of how this directly impacts male athletics, disc golf and powerlifting. So these are small niche sports. You may not have ever heard of disc golf, but these are the front lines of legal battles and lawsuits going on in sports right now that are affecting men. So these trans identified males are suing in lawsuits against um, organizations that are defending women's sports and threatening to bankrupt these organizations. And so in the case of disc golf, they had to fold and say, okay, you know, after, um, the threats of losing all of our money in these uh, legal fights, we will just allow men to compete and win tens of thousands of dollars in the women's professional um, league. In USA Powerlifting, there was a lawsuit in Minnesota where an, a male athlete again sued the organization for banning male participates, participants in women's weight powerlifting. And the judge 
said, you will bend to our rules and allow him to compete, or you're not allowed to do business in the entire state. And so all male powerlifters, men and women, have now been shut out of the sport completely in the whole state of Minnesota because USA Powerlifting is standing its ground. So we're, we're facing a situation now where men and women, depending on what state you live in, have access to certain sports. And this is coming for every sport now. So that may not affect you in disc golf, but they're setting the path. And if we don't correct this immediately, then it's going to mainstream sports. It's going to coming to swimming and track and field and, and football and all sorts of other um, more male-dominated sports, absolutely. So th- don't sleep on women's sports just because you think you're not affected. Um, we need your help now and quickly. Yeah, and and that's how this starts on any cultural issue, especially. It starts in these little niche groups or in places where it doesn't get a huge outburst of response right away. Uh, But it's certainly, it's only a matter of time, right, before there's a man playing for the WNBA. Um, That's how it always goes. Uh, I guess very briefly, too, what are the NCAA's policies right now? Um, what are their guidelines? So I've been on a few uh, of their webinars that announce updates occasionally, and there's been some some change um, initially right after the Leah Thomas debacle because it had so such a huge spotlight. Um, they really doubled down on discriminating against women, tried to explain themselves offsetting any responsibility to national governing bodies. So in swimming, USA swimming oversees all the club sports. And so what the NCAA tried to say was, oh, well, we're just following USA swimming. We're just following FINA, which is World Aquatics. It's the people on top of us that are making these rules. So we're just having to kind of follow through with them. And then over time, when now we see trends of international governing bodies like World Athletics, World Aquatics, FINA, um, UCI Cycling, World Boxing, World Rugby, there is a trend and it's all moving to stricter and stricter guidelines in defense of women's sports. They're caught up on this 12-year-old, if you haven't transitioned by 12 thing, but... um which it's not going far enough, but the trend is clear that it's getting stricter and stricter and banning more and more male athletes from the sport. And so the, the message from the NCAA has changed a bit over time. Now they're saying, well, if a governing body that we look to for guidance doesn't align with our quote unquote values, and those values are allowing men in women's sports, then we can choose not to follow their guidelines. And so it's a slippery slope. There's, um, you know, no real accountability, but they are dedicated and devoted to male athletes, which we've seen in the NCAA. It's not just Leah Thomas. There have been several track and field runners, a hurdler, a rower, a tennis player, There's now a cheerleader, multiple swimmers, even this year. So for people to say, 
oh, Leah Thomas has been banned because we saw a headline that World Aquatics banned him. It's been solved. That is absolutely not the case at all. Um, in many respects, we're seeing just uh, the prevalence grow and grow and grow exponentially. So it's not solved. We need to have more rallies, bigger rallies, and have a seat at the table, definitely. Well, even this year, recently, uh, we saw a soon-to-be Big Ten school, University of Washington, give a scholarship to a male athlete uh, for volleyball. So in cycling, diving, I mean, all the sports you mentioned, plus some, we're seeing this happen. And so the people who say, you know, this isn't really an issue, or this only affects such a small percentage of people, or this isn't happening in, in the NCAA, uh, you have been misled. Uh, because it certainly is. It's incredibly underreported for a a variety of reasons, one of which being people are scared, uh, and two, the media doesn't want to touch it. So, so to believe that is to believe a lie. And so to just wrap up here, uh, as an incredible accomplished athlete yourself, and now as a mom to a young daughter, what is your message to NCAA president Charlie Baker? Hmm. Um, I would say that you have a responsibility, not just to your male athletes, not just to the bread and butter, um, athletes who, who pay your salary, you have a responsibility to 50% or more of your athletes, female athletes that, um, deserve absolute respect, fair treatment, and fair competition. And for you to make excuses as to why you're afraid of O'Reilly Gaines or to talk to us, bring us to the table, you need to hear firsthand how this affects not only athletes who go through it like yourself, but how the ripples really affect even moms like myself far removed from the sport, how it affects the pioneers in the 70s who had to fight tooth and nail to get Title IX passed. I mean, these women are the women that we have to really stand on the shoulders of to gain the awards and recognition that was afforded to me. It's something that I'm not willing to take for granted. And I just want to remind him of how important his female athletes are really to the integrity of all sports, but definitely the integrity of the NCAA. For me to say I'm an NCAA champion is one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. And it is being diminished like you said, when a male is awarded an NCAA Woman of the Year award next to you, I mean, this is eroding the legacy of women's sports. And we are not going to sleep on that. We're not going to back down. That was one of the things we constantly said in Phoenix at the NCAA convention. We will not back down. We're not going away. So um, you better listen to us and call us. <laughs> uh, you're now one of the co-founders of Icons, which you mentioned. Uh, I want you to have the opportunity to tell us about Icons, what Icons stands for, and what you all do. 
We are the Independent Council on Women's Sports, and I have co-founded it with Kim Jones, the mother of an Ivy League swimmer who had to race Leah Thomas all season. And so she was battling the fight behind the scenes with other parents and um, women's organizations before even my eyes were opened. But um, what we do is we, number one, we have a, a legal um, an athlete legal fund where we are trying to build a war chest to fight some of these in, these battles in court to give female athletes a place to go to where they can bring some lawsuits forward. We know that men are quick to sue whenever they are banned from women's sports. And we want to offer the same opportunities to female athletes to, who want to win in court because it's absolutely crucial. Um, we are a network of past and present um, female athletes and their supporters who want to be a voice for women in fighting against discrimination in our sports category and for privacy in our locker rooms. Um, we advocate by consulting with world and national governing bodies to help with policy proposals. A lot of times we have board members that say, I I believe, I believe that women deserve a place in sports. I want to do the right thing, but I don't know how um, to advocate. I don't feel educated in speaking about this or combating somebody who has this opposition position. So we want to be a, a resource to them. We have a library on our YouTube channel for parents and coaches and athletes who want to educate themselves on every angle of the topic we did um, our second annual International Women's Sports Summit, you can find on our YouTube channel, that had the leading um, minds across the world on every topic from psychology to um, science to biology to legal, uh, any facet of this topic you want to learn more about, including from yourself, you were there. Uh, from the athletes who've experienced this uh, to just well equip yourself. A lot of it comes with the confidence in knowing you're right. We know we're right, but how do we articulate that? How do we practice? How do we learn more about the topic? And so we're absolutely a resource for that. And through other um, media outlets, we basically shine light on what the reality of it, of the situation is and um, male athletes across different sports. We often will do Twitter threads to say, Hey, did you know in this state, this athlete is competing this weekend or just took home, um, you know, a jujitsu gold medal in women's jujitsu and exposing the stories. And one of the, the reasons we rarely hear this isn't happening anymore which when we started a couple years ago in advocating, I heard all the time is this doesn't happen. It's so few. I rarely hear that now because um, your platform is so huge. Um, we, ha we have a platform as well to share the stories because once we're speaking freely about the reality of how many women and girls are actually affected by this on a daily basis in high school, club sports, college sports, um, the more awake, awakened the general public is and the less and less 
teeth that argument of this doesn't this doesn't really happen or you're crying wolf. I mean, they they can't say that anymore. And that's largely in part to your influence and your voice being able to speak this. And for parents and athletes who come to us privately through email or Instagram or Twitter and share their personal stories um, so that we can share it with the world. Absolutely. You guys do really the best job of sharing and highlighting these stories of these male athletes intruding into women's spaces and really sharing the perspective of the female athletes and the parents. Uh, so we could not be more grateful for you and the work that you do. And hopefully we don't have to go back to the NCAA convention next year, but I imagine we will. Uh, so anyways, I, I am just very grateful. And I know so many others are for you and the work that icons is doing uh, to ultimately save women's sports. <laughs> what That's a crazy funny. concept. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Riley, I think, uh, you know, the first conversation we had on the phone, I don't know if you remember this, but um, you told me that whatever was asked of you to save women's swimming, to save women's sports, you were willing to do. And this is before anybody knew your name. You maybe had just started talking about your own experience. And that promise to me helped me to give that promise to you. And uh, we're here, you know, almost two years later, and I can say that we've made a, a big impact, um, you especially, and your message is so important. So thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts that you're willing to do this on a daily basis. Um, it's so important, and we just can't thank you enough. I hope you were jotting down some notes when Marshy was mentioning what we can do as individual people because she's exactly right. Everyone has a role that's specific to them. Not everyone has to get in front of a camera, but there's something that each and every one of us can be doing to further advance protecting women's sports. But really this, this extends beyond just this issue. Uh, I would say a lot of the cultural issues where we need fighters and people willing to push back, we have a job. Of course we do. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you support organizations like ICONS. Again, Independent Council on Women's Sports, the people on the ground doing the work. I know not everyone can be on the ground, so offering support and assistance where and when you can, whether that is giving financially or just following along through social media, uh, whatever way, it, it's certainly useful. And now is the time. Uh, it is necessary and urgent that we have people pushing back. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow along, uh, like, subscribe anywhere where you get your podcasts. Make sure to check it out at outkick.com, and we will see you again next week.